I had a seminary professor who used to tell me uh, this joke. Uh, it went something like this. It's about a man who uh, didn't know much about the Bible, and, but thought he ought to be reading it, didn't know where to start, didn't uh, know uh, how to get into it, and so decided that he would just randomly open the Bible, that, okay, if there's a God, uh, he's going to talk to me uh, through this. And so he let his Bible fall open, closed his eyes, ran his finger up and down the page, stopped on a random verse, uh, looked down, it was Matthew 27, verse 5. And he read, so Judas threw the money in the temple and left, then he went away and hanged himself. And the man thought, well, that can't be right. That didn't work. Uh, I better try this again. I, I must have done it wrong. And so he lets the Bible fall open uh, again randomly and closes his eyes and runs his finger up the page and stops at a verse and he looks down and it's Luke ten thirty seven, And he reads, go and do likewise. <laughs> okay, this is not going well, he thinks to himself. <clears throat> one more time, one more time. This is God, I'm, I must not be getting the message God wants me to get. Let's the Bible fall open, runs his finger all around, really, really going to be random this time. Stops. John 13, 27. What you're about to do, do quickly. <laughs> now, the professor would tell that joke uh, sort of as a way to make fun of people who would do things like that. Because the point was supposed to be only the unenlightened and uninformed would ever just sort of randomly open their Bible. I mean, the right way to do this is to be intentional and rational and have a sort of systematic plan about approaching the Scriptures and to study them in depth and all of their detail and, and to do something like that. That would be silly. Now, at the time, of course, I bought into that worldview and I bought into that idea, well, yeah, nobody should do that. But I had forgotten or didn't understand one really important truth. A truth that we're going to see for ourselves this morning. And that is that God often uses seemingly random things to speak to his people. So please take a Bible and let it fall open to Joshua chapter 18. Joshua chapter 18 it's page 183 in the church Bibles. Joshua 18, page 183. Now, Joshua 18 forms an interesting contrast with Joshua 9. Joshua 9 is a story, uh, we've covered it together as a church, about the Gibeonites. And the Gibeonites were not Israelites. They were a, tr a, a group of people living in the land of Canaan. And they realize that the Israelites have come to conquer the land and they think, well, if we can make a treaty with them, then we'll be safe and we'll be protected. And so they come to the Israelites and they propose making a treaty. And in Joshua 9, the children of Israel do exactly what you and I would want them to do. They ask some good questions like, well, wait a second, how do we know that you're not our neighbors? We're not allowed to make treaties with our neighbors. Uh, we're here to take their land. When the Gibeonites say to them, no, 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 we're not your neighbors. We came from a long way away. Look how moldy our bread is. Look at how uh, worn our sandals are. Look at how threadbare our clothes are and how dusty. We've traveled a long, long time to get here. 
And again, the children of Israel do what you and I would think they ought to do. They examine the evidence. They look at the bread. They examine the clothes. They have a conference together among the leaders and they talk about this. And they decide using good, human, rational wisdom. Yeah, they must be from a long way away. And so they make a treaty with them. But Joshua 9 not pleased with the Israelites for doing this, includes this phrase, they examined the evidence, but failed to inquire of the Lord. Joshua 18, on the other hand, is sort of the opposite. We're about to see the children of Israel do something that you and I would think is quite weird, very strange. We wouldn't be comfortable with it. They're going to use something seemingly random to inquire of the Lord. But interestingly in Joshua 9, when they go through a good, rational, wise process, they end up with the wrong answer. And in Joshua 18, when they use something seemingly random, they end up hearing God's voice. Now the story in Joshua 18, to set the context, we're in the part of the book where land is being allotted to various tribes. Seven of the 12 tribes in Israel don't have their land as of Joshua 18. Joshua says, we got to get on with allotting this land. So he asks for three representatives from each of those seven tribes. So 21 total people. Sends them out into the remaining territory. And says, go take a survey of the land. Bring back the results to me. Divide the land into seven parts. And then we'll decide together who's supposed to get what land. We pick up the story in verse 8 of Joshua 18. As the men started on their way to map out the land, Joshua instructed them, go make a survey of the land and write a description of it. Then return to me and I will cast lots for you here at Shiloh in the presence of the Lord. So the men left and went through the land. They wrote its description on a scroll town by town in seven parts and returned to Joshua in the camp at Shiloh. Joshua then cast lots for them in Shiloh in the presence of the Lord and there he distributed the land to the Israelites according to their tribal divisions. The land here is being allotted. Now if you think about the word allotted, It comes from the idea that Joshua cast lots to determine which tribe gets which allotment of land. Now, what is this casting lots that's happening here in Joshua 18? Well, the Hebrew word for lots is related to the Hebrew word for small stone. And while we don't know the exact, excuse me, While we don't know the exact procedure that they followed, we have some idea if we're willing to kind of imagine how the details might have worked. It seems that what they did is for these seven tribes, they assigned a stone for each allotment or portion of land. And now at this point, I'm sort of making up the details. But imagine that they've got a bag together and the land goes with each of those stones. Those stones are placed in the bag. In the presence of the Lord, they then draw out a stone. And if, for example, you're the tribe of Dan and you draw out stone number one, they got the land associated with the stone number one, which may have been 
the land near the Mediterranean Sea. And that's how their allotment came to them. So what casting of lots is, we use similar terminology, draw straws or flip a coin or pick a number between one and ten. A sort of working definition for the casting of lots is it is using seemingly random events to allow God to speak. Because that's the main point from Joshua 18. Even though they're drawing stones or or rolling stones or however they did it, it's God who is ultimately choosing the land. Each tribe ends up with the tribal inheritance that God had chosen for them. Now, casting of lots seems like a kind of strange thing for us that we would do something like this to make a decision in this manner. But while it might be strange for us, it's actually quite common in the Bible. Very common, in fact. Let me give you just a list of some of the more sort of well-known or important passages where this idea shows up. And while the procedure, I'm not sure, is the same in all of them, the idea is is that in all of them they are said to be casting lots, and it's the use of something seemingly random to allow God to speak. So, for example, in Leviticus 16, verse 8, God commands the children of Israel to cast lots on every day of atonement to determine which goat is to be sacrificed and which goat is to be the scapegoat to be sent off in the wilderness. In Joshua 7, we looked at this story. One of the Israelites has stolen things from the city of Jericho. The whole nation is suffering because of it, and they've got to figure out who did this. They cast lots all the way down from tribe to clan to family until Achan is identified, and the way they find out it's Achan is through casting lots. In Judges 20, verse 9, the children of Israel cast lots, to determine what order the tribes are to go up into battle. In 1 Chronicles 24.5, the priests are supposed to cast lots to determine what their assignments in the temple are going to be. In Nehemiah 10 and 11, when the children of Israel are returning from exile back into the land, they cast lots to determine which family are supposed to supply the wood for the temple during what season and which families are supposed to live in Jerusalem as opposed to other parts in the country. They determine what God is saying to them using this procedure of casting lots. In Jonah 1, the sailors on the boat realize God is angry with us. We're sinking. Somebody here must have done something to anger him. The way they hear from the Lord as to who it was is they cast lots, and the lot falls to Jonah, and they throw Jonah overboard. In 1 Samuel 10, the nation of Israel cast lots to select Saul as their first king. Now, God's already told Samuel that Saul is going to be the king, but that's not the way he tells the nation. He gathers the nation together and says, we're going to cast lots, and God uses that to pick Saul as the first king of Israel. In 1 Samuel 14, When Jonathan has disobeyed his father Saul's order, they cast lots and they find out it's Jonathan who's done this. In Luke chapter 1, Zechariah, the lot falls to Zechariah as one of the priests. That means he gets to serve in the temple that day. 
when he's serving in the temple, the Lord appears to him and says, you're going to have a baby. His name is going to be John, and we know him as John the Baptist. And in Acts chapter 1, the disciples are looking for a replacement for Judas Iscariot to be one of the 12 apostles. They cast lots, and Matthias is the one that God identifies Here's the choice that I've made for you. So while we think this idea of casting lots for some of these decisions is rather strange, it's very, very common in the Bible. But that raises the question, does this work? (laughs) Like, are we supposed to read Joshua 18 or any of these passages, and are we supposed to come away from these thinking that we ought to cast lots? Well, let me make three comments about that. First, nowhere in the Bible is the casting of lots ever discouraged. It happens a lot, but it is never frowned upon. It's never discouraged. God never gets angry with anybody. God never says, what are you doing casting lots? I don't want that. He never does that. Even more potent Every single time in the Bible where lots are cast, even the non-Christian sailors on Jonah's boat, every single time lots are cast in the scriptures, they always point to the person God wants them to point to. They're always successful in that sense. Second comment to keep in mind if we think about, do these really work? Lots, or the idea of allowing something seemingly random to be used by God to speak through, fits within a larger theology that the Bible affirms. Namely, that God is in control of all things. Everything is under his sovereign power. Psalm chapter 16, verses 5 and 6. The psalmist says, Lord... You alone are my portion and my cup. You make my, what? Lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. Now, this is a really interesting passage because it's referencing Joshua. The psalmist who lives much later is looking back on the events of Joshua and saying, The God who assigned specific inheritances by lot in the book of Joshua is the God who's in control of my life. And while the psalmist is not talking about the fact that he casts lots for everything in his life, he is talking about the fact that everything in his life is under the control of God, which we saw in Joshua 18 when his ancestors cast lots for their inheritance. And like we talked about last week, the allotment that we have from God has come to us because God is in control of everything. And the idea that there's something random in this world that is somehow outside of God's control, the scriptures don't know anything about that. So casting of lots fits within a theological framework that the Bible affirms very strongly for us. God knows the number of hairs on our heads. Not a sparrow falls to the ground without the Lord being in control. God is completely sovereign. There is nothing outside of his control. 
And then the sort of third point to make about do these things work? In Proverbs chapter 18, we read in the scriptures, casting the lot settles disputes and keeps strong opponents apart. What we find is actually casting lots is part of the wisdom that God gives us. It's affirmed and encouraged as something that you and I can do that would be considered part of the wisdom of God. Even more powerful is Proverbs 16.33, which says the lot is cast into the lap, meaning it seems random, but look at this. It's every decision is from the Lord. Every decision, not some of its decisions. It's every decision is from the Lord. This is the word of God, and God is affirming for us. Look, it appears random, but it's every decision is under my control. Well, you might ask, well, if that's the case, why don't we hear more about casting lots? Why isn't this sort of emphasized? Why in the church I grew up in did we never talk about this or whatever it may be? My opinion on that is that's because it's not the primary way that God talks to us. There are many other ways that are more emphasized than casting lots for God to speak to his people. But having said that, It is in Joshua 18. It's in lots of other passages in the scriptures. It's affirmed in the Psalms and it's affirmed in Proverbs. It's used in the New Testament. So having said that it's not the primary or even probably one of the top three or four ways that God speaks to his people does not mean that he doesn't use it. And when we read in the book of Joshua and say every week, keep this book of the law always on your lips, meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do what? Everything Everything written in it. Casting lots is written in Joshua 18. Casting lots is written in lots of passages. Casting lots is presented in a very positive, affirming light. And so while I don't in any way want you to think, this is the primary means by which God speaks to his people. I do want us to realize that God can and does use seemingly random things to communicate to us. Well, if that's true, how would someone use the casting of lots today? What would it look like today if we were to cast lots? Well, one of the realms in which we use this today is in church with regards to the leadership of the church. For a number of years at Calvary, we have selected elders and deacons through a process of casting lots. Essentially what happens right now, in fact, this morning, earlier this morning, we have a nominating committee that met. They'll continue to meet over the next couple of months and they take nominations for elder or deacon from the congregation, from current elders and deacons, from the staff, anyone who wants to nominate someone to be an elder or deacon. The nominating committee takes those names and checks them against the qualifications that the scripture gives us. They then put together with a lot of prayer a group of people who are possible candidates to be elders or deacons. That list comes uh, first to the current elders and deacons. will also come to the whole congregation. The process takes about eight or nine months. But come September, right here during our annual meeting, uh, in the presence of the Lord, 
will gather together and there will be a smaller list than the nominating committee started with in January of people that God seems to be highlighting. But when we get here in September, you're going to hear us say, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of the men you've chosen to be in leadership at the church. They're all qualified, but which ones are you choosing to serve? Because God has his reasons and God knows what's in the heart. That language comes out of Acts chapter 1. And we're simply doing today what they were doing in the book of Acts, which was allowing God to use something seemingly random to communicate guidance and direction to his people. Now, we're not the only church that does that by any stretch. In fact, the Christian Reformed denomination has written a liturgy to use with the casting of lots ceremony for casting lots for elders because more and more churches are doing it. John Piper's former church also uses casting of lots for leadership kinds of things, although theirs is slightly different. The way they do it is to determine which of their pastoral staff are going to participate with their elders in making decisions. They cast lots to decide which of them will be participating in those leadership functions. So one of the arenas in which we use and can use casting lots today is the same way it's used in the Bible, like in Acts 1, which is to choose people for leadership to function as elders or deacons. A second arena in which you can use the casting of lots today is for seemingly more routine decisions. A couple of years ago, our family decided that we needed, needed maybe a strong word, wanted, uh, a monitor to be able, a bigger monitor to be able to play video games on and to be able to watch movies on. So I did due diligence, which was to kind of investigate what's available within our price range and sort of what size and read the, the, the reports that you're supposed to look at and ask different people, you know, which is a good one and which is better quality and all that kind of stuff and use that to sort of narrow down the possible choices. The problem was, is after, after going through all of that, there were still two monitors, uh, either one of which seemed like they would have been fine. And so I remember very specifically uh, standing in Costco, looking at these two monitors, thinking to myself, how, how am I going to decide which one to buy? Lisa had sort of just left it up to me. She's like, just pick it. You've already done way too much on this. Just pick one. <laughs> so while I'm thinking through it and praying about it, some of these passages come to mind. So I kind of look around and make sure nobody's watching. And I get out a piece of paper and a pen and I write down the names of both monitors uh, on separate pieces of paper. It was winter, so I took off my hat, put the names in the hat, and again, hoping no one's watching that, shake the hat up, and then I pray, and I'm like, Lord, pick me a monitor. And so I reach in, and I picked out, and whichever card came out, that's the one we bought. I'm also familiar with a family who decided, let's choose our vacation that way. And so they asked each member of the family to suggest a place to go on vacation, took all those things, prayed over them, uh, and, and pulled one out, and that's where they went on vacation. Remember, Proverbs says, casting lots keeps strong opponents apart. Like this is a way when people have different opinions to be able to say, Lord, we want you to choose where we're going to go on vacation. I was talking to a couple this week and they've used casting of lots to figure out or determine how much money to tithe and give to the church. Uh, the wife had prayed about it and thought about it and she came up with a number and the husband did the same and he came up with a number. Problem was they weren't the same number. And so how do you decide? Well, they did something really interesting, I thought, as they took her number and they took his number. 
and they, I think, wrote them on paper, I don't know, and put them into the hat. They also wrote a number that was higher than both of theirs and one that was lower than both of theirs. And they prayed and said, Lord, you know our budget. You know what we can do. You know what you want from us. Choose how much you want us to give. And so they reached and pulled out, and it just it did happen to be the highest number. And they took that as God saying, look, trust me. And so that's what they've been giving. So you can use the casting of lots in routine decisions like that. Another arena in which you can use them today, one that I've been doing a lot recently, a lot, uh, I've been doing quite often recently, that I want to sort of encourage you with, is I've been using them to allow God to choose for me which book of the Bible to be reading. So now I've been a Christian for a long time and I've used various reading plans, you know, read through the Bible in a year or kind of read back and forth between the Old Testament and the New Testament or read one book over and over again. Those have all been really great and beneficial. Uh, But recently I, I wasn't in the middle of a reading plan and I was like, Lord, it'd be really great if you would just choose a book of the Bible that you want me to read and then whatever you choose, Lord, I will... I'll read and pray through it, and I'll listen for your voice in it. And so uh, I found a website, and I'll show it to you uh, up here on the screen. It's called random.org, uh, and this is a random number generator. And in the random number generator, you can see sort of the box over there on the right. Look at that. And you can input uh, range, and so I put in 1 to 66 because there are 66 books in the Bible. And then I pray and say, Lord, choose for me a book. And that's 47 Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. So 2 Corinthians would be the book. You go through the table of contents. And the only reason I know, I've done this a lot. Uh, The reason I know that 47 is uh, 2 Corinthians is God has recently chosen Romans, which was 45. Uh, And so this is two books later. So what I would do is then say, okay, Lord, what do you have for me in 2 Corinthians? And so I would begin to read and pray my way through 2 Corinthians, and that might take a a couple of weeks, it might take a month, but I'm reading saying, Lord, you chose this for me, what is it that you want to say to me? Now people do this other ways, some people have a Bible app that sends them random Bible verses, great. Some people use a devotional, which they don't know what kind of the next day's uh, verse or thought is going to be, and that works as well. Again, all of it is simply using seemingly random things to allow God to speak uh, and guide his people. Now, before you run off and do this, I would like you to, but let me give you four pointers about how to use casting of lots sort of most effectively. Number one, casting of lots must always be done in the presence of the Lord. So in Joshua 18, the phrase casting of lots is mentioned in verse 6, verse 8, and verse 10. Every time it's mentioned, it is said explicitly to be done in the presence of the Lord. Joshua doesn't tell those 21 people who've gone out to survey the land, hey, as soon as you're done surveying, pull some stones out and decide who gets what. He says, no, Bring all that back here. We're going to gather the people together at Shiloh where the tabernacle is, where God is present, and we're going to ask God to do the choosing. You see, the casting of lots is not a shortcut to avoid praying. 
It's not like, well, Lord, we got a decision. I could either pray about this for a long time or I could flip a coin. That's not what this is. It's a part of the praying process. In Acts 1, it says that the disciples were constantly in prayer before they chose or had God choose that 12th apostle. Likewise, when we come to the casting of lots, we do it always mindful of the presence of the Lord. So if today you go home and you say, I'm going to read 2 Corinthians. I don't think it's an accident that you're in this service and that picks 2 Corinthians. If you go and do that, we're doing it because the Lord is present here. By the way, we got Leviticus in the first service and we got Malachi in the second service and we got 2 Corinthians in this service. There may be someone here that the Lord is choosing 2 Corinthians because he's got something to say to you. But we've done this in the presence of the Lord. Second pointer. Casting of lots almost always follows a narrowing process. It comes after you've narrowed down the options. The children of Israel just don't go out into the whole planet and survey everything so that the tribe of Dan goes, well, I ended up with Alabama, I guess. They had a specific piece of land that God had already told them it's this land. Some of that land has already been given to other tribes. That didn't go into the pot. They went through the seven pieces that were left, divided it up, narrowed it down, and there's now seven good choices. That's what they cast lots for. Same thing in Acts chapter 1. They don't cast lots for all the believers to see who's going to take Judas's place. They have criteria must have been with us from the beginning and must have had Jesus appear to that person in resurrected form. After they went through the narrowing process, there were only two men left. <clears throat> they cast lots for those two men, not for everybody. Likewise here, when we choose elders, we don't take everybody's name at Calvary Church and put them uh, in a stone in a bag. We go through a very uh, rigorous nominating process to narrow down the field. So the second point is... Casting of lots almost always follows a narrowing process whereby you've ruled out the things that God doesn't want chosen. Third, casting lots works best when you have equally valid options that you're choosing between. If you're trying to decide where you're supposed to go to college and you have one school that the Lord keeps pressing on your heart, you keep hearing about it everywhere, everybody keeps talking to you about it, when you read the scriptures, that school comes to mind, and you also have two others that you haven't been accepted to, that's not the time for casting lots because God's already telling you which one to go to. Casting lots works best when you have equally valid options. There are 66 books in the Bible. Every single one of them has been written by the Lord. You're not going to go wrong if he chooses 2 Corinthians or if he chooses Malachi. It's a great thing for this because all of them are from the Lord. So casting lots works best when you have equally valid options. And then the final point. The key to casting lots is faith. If you go home today and you read 2 Corinthians, you will be doing it by faith. There is no reason why that should have worked. There is no reason why your service, this service, should get 2 Corinthians. But if you by faith go, Lord, maybe that was for me. 
Maybe there's something in there for me. That's an act of faith. If, however, you go home and say, all right, I'm going to see if this works. If I get that random number generated to pull up 2 Corinthians 10 times in a row, then I might believe. That's not an act of faith. Now, I have seen (laughs) where God chose a book of the Bible and someone said, I'm not reading that book because I know what you're going to tell me. And they've tried to read something else and God kept choosing that book until they read it. But God, this is not a means to test God. This is a means to submit to God. And if you go home today and you read 2 Corinthians, that act of faith, God's going to bless. And so again, if God's already made a choice and you're like, well, I just really want to prove it to myself and I'll cast slots. I don't think he's in that. If, however, you are struggling and you're like, Lord, I'm trying, please help me to understand. I think it's this, but I just need more help. That can be something God can use, casting of lots to speak through. Okay, what are you supposed to do with this teaching today? Well, perhaps God brought you here because you are facing a choice in which you have equally valid options, and God brought you here this morning to encourage you to say, give me a chance to speak into this. I'd encourage you, cast lots. There's a reason why you showed up this week at church with that decision on your mind. This is the passage that we're in. We're not in a different passage. We're in a passage that is affirming God's ability to speak through the casting of lots. Perhaps God brought you here today to say, give me a chance. Let me speak to to this situation. Perhaps God brought you here this morning because you're not really reading the Bible. Or you're out of sort of Bible reading plans or you're just kind of going through the motions or whatever. Maybe God brought you here this morning because, for me personally, I'm really excited to see what's in 2 Corinthians. I'd be really excited to know, Lord, why did you choose that? And for me, after the Lord chooses a book of the Bible, I'm excited to open it up and see, okay, Lord, what do you want to say to me today? And without fail. Now, sometimes I've got to read for a while. Sometimes it doesn't come on the first day I start into the book. But without fail, there every time God will show me something. And it's super encouraging. Now listen, I'm also encouraged when I'm in a daily reading plan and that day happens to line up with something I need to hear. That's really cool too. But perhaps God brought you here to say, look, I want to encourage your faith. I want to show you that I am in control of these things. That what you and I think are random is not random at all. Because when you're going through something and God specifically chooses a word from the scriptures just for you, it's really, really encouraging. The final thing I think that we're supposed to take out of this today, and it has nothing to do with whether or not you cast lots for something. You and I are supposed to come away from this with the understanding God is in control of all things. And if you're going through something difficult in life, if your life feels out of control, if you're a details person and the details really, uh, really concern you and you spend time thinking through them, I've got good news for you. If God not only cares how that coin flip comes out, but isn't actually in control of that coin flip, then there is nothing that you are going through that he's not in control of. 
We believe this lie that somehow God created the world and set it in motion and it's just doing its own thing and he'll only be bothered if he wants to be bothered. That is not true. If his eye is on the sparrow, then you can know for sure he's watching you. If he's got the numbers of your hair, uh, the hairs on your head numbered, then he is concerned about everything. If it matters to him what stone comes out of that bag, if every decision of a lot is under the Lord's control, then there is nothing that you or I are going through that is outside his control. David says, my lot in life is secure because you are in control of the whole thing. So be encouraged. The God in whose unfailing love you can always trust. If the lot is cast in the lap but it's every decision is from the Lord. How much more can you and I trust that every detail, every seemingly chance conversation, every time we open God's word, every circumstance that we experience in life is not random, but is under the purposeful control of a loving, faithful God. Don't be afraid. God is with you. Let's pray. Lord, this is weird stuff. Uh, Lord, we're much more comfortable with the rational thinking processes of Joshua 9. But Lord, by faith, help us to obey Joshua 18. Lord, help us to trust you, even with the seemingly random things of life. God, I pray for those here that you want to use this for a decision, and that's why you brought them here this morning. Confirm that in their spirit through your spirit. God, I pray for those whom you are calling to come discover your living and active voice in your word. God, I pray that when they go home and whatever means they use to choose uh, what's next, that it would be you that's choosing for them. And Lord, make it really clear. Let them hear your voice speaking to them in a powerful way. And Father, for those of us who've come because we may have forgotten that you're not only in control of the big things, but every single detail, thank you for the reminder. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.